Hi, season two of Third Culture Africans is here. And that includes our brand new website, www.thirdcultureafricans.com. On this week's episode of Third Culture Africans, my guest is Abisala Omole, the founder of the Apartment Global Group, an incredible digital business that has defined Fashion Week as well as defining a whole generation in terms of creativity and the work therein. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did sitting with Abby. Welcome to another episode of Third Culture Africans. I am your host, Zezo Sal. I created the show as a resource for our community of Africans and African diaspora. A safe and honest place to share, inspire, motivate, and most importantly, celebrate those in our communities doing purposeful work and shifting the needle on our culture. Your support is invaluable to the show, so please subscribe or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and leave us a review on your favorite streaming platform. You are valid, you are strong, and you are just getting started. Hi, Abby. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Third Culture Africans. Thank you so much for having me. I think we were saying just before I hit record that podcasting is an interesting uh, experience of sort of being recorded, but you kind of have been journaling or recording your experiences for, for quite a long time. Just so I don't miss the important intro that goes with every episode, Abby aka Abisola Omole. You are the CEO and creative director of the Apartment Global Group, which has four subsidiary companies under it. So the Apartment, Studio Ava, Ava and Foley Studio. Did I say that right? Folio? Yeah, Fol. Yeah. (laughs) Now for anyone who doesn't know anything about all of those four companies, I guess in your own words, what is Apartment Global Group? What are those companies? What do they do? So the Apartment Global Group is a lifestyle group. I've always had different interests and I felt that they've all over time aligned quite well. So I, it made sense to kind of house them all under one group. So it started off with the apartment, which is a digital and events agency. I keep it really basic in saying that, but we do everything from influencer marketing to digital strategy, event production. Yeah, a whole range of different things um, under the apartment. Then you have uh, Studio Ava, which is our interior styling and design studio, which also has a physical studio in East London. So people can actually rent out the space, use it for photo shoots, intimate events. But the main part of that company is that we style people's faces, which is really fun. Then you've got Ava, which is like, I try not to have favorites, but I think Ava might be my favorite. Um, It's our lifestyle brand, fully open to consumers, which is amazing because everything we've always been doing with companies like The Apartment were very B2B, was very industry focused. And so it's really great for me to have an outlet where I can share things with an audience and they can actually engage, like everyone can engage. So we have our lifestyle store where we sell homeware. We have our online website, which is filled with really great and like beautiful stories and video content. And we have all kinds of things planned. I mean, big picture, I want to have like everything from hotels to restaurants and things like that all under the Ava brand. So right now we're just sort of, I guess, securing our foundation of taste and our story amongst the market so people just kind of understand 
around where we're aligned. And then Fold Studio, it's a simple one. It's just when brands come to us and they ask for content, but they want it to be white label. So essentially they want it to be content that sits under their brand and it's not like buy the apartment or buy Argo or anything like that. So we just put it under Fold Studio. And so a lot of that content people don't actually know about because like it's white label. So it's just a content creation agency, but it was just relevant or important for us to kind of house it separately because we do have a lot of people who come to us wanting to partner rather than use us as a client. And so it was good to just have the separate options. But yeah, those are the companies. Amazing. So aka Abby Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you basically started blogging in 2008. So you did simplify quite a bit what the apartment is, but mm. the apartment is probably one of the major placeholders in the fashion week calendar or has been. I don't know what 2020 looks like for you guys. I'm sure we'll delve into that a little bit more, but you came up with a really cool concept of being able to create a space for content creators, creatives, bloggers, to have a space during fashion week where they could chill, upload their content, there's internet, have key experiences with brands around fashion week. So for most brand owners who are trying to build relationships or even just have content around fashion week, fashion week tends to be a great time for that. And it's, it's a big thing in the calendar for most companies. And you came up with this ingenious idea to have a space <laughs> that allows creatives to come in and engage with brands, have unique experiences, but a space to network, also a space to, you know, sit down, use the internet, review their images, upload content, because yeah. everything is kind of immediate, if, if I'm getting that right. I'm, okay. I'm kind of privy to the to the concept idea because we've we've kind of worked together in the past and I and I'm a fan of what you've been able to create over the years. Thank you. Yeah, no, I mean everything you said exactly that. I think for us it was really important that as a blogger at the time I just realized that we were going to these physical events like Fashion Week, but we weren't really having the opportunity to foster real relationships with each other and also brands. And so it just made sense to try and fill that void, you know, try and create a space that felt relaxed. It felt like a house. And that's why it was, you know, the apartment. It didn't feel like a press day. Most times we would actually use an actual, you know, service department or a space that we would make look like an apartment. And so if you're already going into the space and you feel at ease, the idea that you're walking around and you can naturally discover brands is a really great way to be introduced to them. So, yeah, that was the concept and it was really fun to do. And I think in terms of the future, it's just a case of obviously I think the whole event industry is very up in the air at the moment. Even, you know, Fashion Week is happening very shortly. I think it's probably start in a couple of days. And so many things have been cancelled, unfortunately. So many, you know, just new government restrictions affecting people's plans. So for us, we already, I mean, I wouldn't have felt comfortable doing anything this season. So I never even started to plan something physical. But I think moving forward and, and you know, maybe in the next couple of years, it could be something that we revisit. But I think for now, it's really exciting to see how people are utilizing digital platforms as a not just a content creation platform, but as somewhere where you can really showcase your brand and experience. And I think that's yeah something that people are really navigating right now or trying to at least. So in context, this was a, because I think when you started the apartment blogging and, you know, 
influencers and content creation was nowhere where it is today. Oh, yeah. um, and, and by and large, you know, the, the darlings of Fashion Week were still the editors, the mm-hmm. magazine editors. And, you know, bloggers would, if you're lucky, you get some standing room. Totally. So true. And in your community as bloggers at the time, I don't think any of you could have predicted what it is today. But at the same time, you guys also needed, because I think the editors will have, you know, the brands would give them space after the shows to be able to sit and all of that. But you guys weren't allowed. Yeah. And this no, was we your, so, so, <laughs> I say, no, we weren't. <laughs> we weren't. No, seriously, I still, I still remember because there were some fashion weeks before the apartment where I was even going and freelancing for a couple of publications like MSN. And I got access to the press lounge and just the coldness was so palpable. You know, people would just be like, oh, so where are you, you know, writing? And the moment you said online, they were like, oh, okay. And it was just always so cold. People weren't very nice. And I think especially as me back then being like a 19 year old, oh yeah, it was, it was overwhelming. And so I just thought I I wanted find a space than just do this myself and create somewhere where we feel welcome because this is not the one. <laughs> yeah. And I think digitally you guys had a community, but in in-person events that there just wasn't anything that was catering to the digital space. So it wasn't mm-hmm. about uploading content quickly. You know, those editors mm-hmm. were probably tete-a-tete and, you know, mm-hmm. very few were doing any uploading or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. street style photography was just, and I think then it was like Scott Schumann and and, and those guys who were right at the top, but there wasn't this explosion in Instagram or blogging or, you know, that fast consumption of events in real time digitally. Um, Mm. And I think what struck me about, I guess, the initial sort of idea of the apartment and, and, and something to do with your success of it was building communities. Was that intentional for you or was that just as a byproduct of being in the environment? Because you're Mm. studying at the time, you're at university and you're coming up with this concept of, can I create a space for my friends to chill? Are you thinking, how on earth do I fund this? Renting a pop-up space costs money. Yes. Decorating it costs money. Yeah. Having the manpower to do it costs money. Yeah. So at what point do you kind of go from blogger to, hey, I can actually create a concept that I feel will serve my peers and I? Well, to answer the first part of your question, I I feel like it was definitely the aim. The community was definitely the aim for sure from the beginning. I don't think I could have known how strong or how big or how global the reach was going to be and you know Mm. how far reaching just generally our guests would be coming from which was pretty amazing you would hear people you know you'd have people message us being like hey we're coming to town for fashion week we're from toronto and our friend who who came to the space like two seasons ago told us about like it was just so crazy that the word of mouth was spreading so whenever people came they almost kind of sort us out, which was really, really exciting for us. And so I think, yes, the community element was always honestly just the heart of the company and the project even, but the way that it grew was definitely not expected. Yeah, I think in terms of the second part of your question, yeah, it's uh, it was a hard one in that, well, it was hard and it was easy. I think it was hard because there are a lot of aspects that I just didn't think about. And I guess that's what made it 
somewhat easy too. I wasn't overthinking things the way that you would plan an event today, or at least I would. There's a whole process. Whereas back then, I was very naive and I just thought, I'll find a space. I have some money saved up because I had a part time job at a stationery store whilst I was working at uni. And so I was like, you know, I'll just use some of my of my saved money on this and I had a few brand contacts so I you know I was like you know do you want to give us some product and that was me leveraging my you know relationships as a influencer blogger at the time and so bringing in those brands you know it was H&M sort of eBay a range of really great brands who would give us some product some contributed financially but on a very very small level we're talking like contributions of 500 pounds so yeah I mean yeah it wasn't anything like you know elaborate or the way it is today but it was enough to cover the event and mm-hmm. I think I might have might have made maybe like a hundred like no maybe a thousand maybe 800 pounds so it wasn't crazy but for the work I mean that was never the it was never the point you know to make money I just was hoping to at least not lose money um yes because so because you know you're using your money from a part-time job to fund a a random almost experiment (laughs) so you're just like please don't lose money you know I couldn't ask anyone for money my parents I will say were very supportive morally but just like the moral support they gave was great and in terms of manpower the whole project from the beginning was very much family I had one intern but besides that like it was me and my mom like moving beds and it was like my sisters helping hanging clothes it was all family I didn't even know how to begin looking for interns at that point which is amazing the only reason we had one was because she just got in touch randomly and I was like sure I mean I can't pay you I'm not even paying myself like I don't even know what this is and she was like this just sounds cool and then she stayed with us for years and obviously we ended up um, being able to pay her at, at a point but it was just cool that we had people who believed in the concept from the beginning. But yeah, it was family for sure. And actually some friends who helped make it all possible because I mean, it was a lot. When I look back, I don't actually understand how, you know, I didn't even have like some sort of production sheet to just plan everything. It's like I just yeah. showed up and I was like, okay, you can go there and yeah, it'll work. And it did, which was so, so wild. I think especially because I will admit like it wasn't supposed to be something I repeated. It was a one-time thing that I thought was cool like you know like you said I was at university so it wasn't like I was starting a whole business especially whilst at uni yeah so it was only when we'd finished the first one and it had done so well we even got Grazia who came on board as a media partner featuring all of the content and that was our first season and then as I you know returned to university and just doing my stuff got contacted by Microsoft who were like you know we'd love to sponsor the second one and I was like the second one um, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. And um, I remember being like, "Oh, you know, I'll I'll get in touch." Like keeping it really vague. Like there was like yeah. a whole team um, when it was very much just me. <laughs> um, but is, is is this off the back of the content they saw come out of the apartment? Because I think totally where you've made no advertising. How, how did you get other bloggers through the door? How did you get them to? come into the space like was that purposeful for you did you kind of just invite your friends hey I've got the space come and hang out during fashion week or or was there some sort of a marketing tactic used to to get people through through the door it was a combination I definitely had a good amount of friends you know at that time I'd been a blogger for four years so I definitely had you know a pretty 
solid online network of my own. However, it was just a case of also people that I followed, you know, people that I really admired, I reached out to, but there was no big um, marketing ploy. I think people were a lot more open-minded back then. There genuinely just was nothing like it. So people were curious, people were excited that someone was creating a space dedicated for them. You can just imagine, you know, you're this new industry, you're still finding yourself and we're all feeling the same sort of loneliness. And so then to hear that someone wants to almost, you know, fix that, you're just like, oh, yeah, I mean, I'm 100% going to jump at that. So, no, I met a lot of people. I can't say everyone was my friend to begin with, but over the years, they definitely became friends, which was really exciting. And I think that's what everyone always said, that the apartment was where they actually fostered proper relationships. Like when you go to press days or whatever, it's always very casual, like, oh, how are you? And oh, the weather's so crazy, isn't it? But like at the apartment, that's honestly some of the conversations I would overhear. They were so deep and meaningful and people just felt like so secure and open in this space. And that was something I was so proud of us that we were able to create even while still having, you know, brand partners. So it was that was a really cool element of the space. Amazing. And then out of that came your... I guess, opportunities around influencers and and helping sort of foster even relationships and and their careers. Um, And then I guess you you briefly mentioned brand partnerships, but you've pretty much worked with brands from media through to tech, through to fashion. In some ways, although the apartment was a physical location, would you consider it a, like, you know, what part of it is a digital business and, and what part of it is an event business? You know, if you had to kind of put it in a box, yeah, what is it, you know, because there's something about the apartment global group that is a digital business. Yeah, definitely. But then the apartment being, I guess, the foundation of it all. And through that, obviously, you saw saw the opportunities and then created all of the others. And we'll talk about some of the early on, you, you had shared the idea of a social membership club with me a few mm-hmm. years ago, and, and we'll probably catch up on, on where you're at with that. But what part of the apartment is a digital business? Obviously, from that opportunity, you've built now a group of companies that kind of serve needs that have arisen from just the opportunities that have come your way. It really depends on the client. We definitely do a mix of everything. But you know, sometimes we'll get a client who will say, we want to have some sort of physical activation to celebrate, let's say, a product. And it could be as simple as that. And so that's obviously an event. But then we do have some clients who are like, you know, we want a physical activation. But then we also want a digital um, an influencer strategy because we want people to create content around, let's say, this event. But then we also want maybe you to create content that will sit on our platforms. And maybe we then talk about, you know, what that looks like in the newsletter. So it just really depends on the client. But in terms of digital, it's either going to be we're helping you with your influence marketing strategy. So bringing the right people on board. We're creating content that will sit on your digital platforms or generally just helping with, yeah, your overall strategy as to how you approach uh, social media and you know what networks work for you as a brand and then on the physical side yeah events are huge for us I think brands saw the concept of the apartment being this relaxed but really open space and so we would have people specifically say can we get like a TK Maxx apartment or can we get a Dell apartment it's like the apartment became this 
almost facilitator, this template of an event that people wanted to recreate, but specifically for their brand. And we did that for quite quite a few years, actually. And then it got to a point where I was like, I don't want to put the apartment on everything because I feel like we're spreading the brand a bit too much, but I don't mind doing events. And so we then just started doing events and we didn't call everything an apartment. You know, it was just that, yes, we still do events just because we were growing the apartment brand. And I just felt that was way too confusing, putting the name apartment on everything. Did you trademark the apartment or? We didn't trademark it only because you can't. It's such an open phrase that it just wasn't possible. But obviously within the industry, there are connotations and there are associations. And so you just wouldn't use it unless you were us. Well, well, you shouldn't use it unless you're us within the capacity of like an event at, let's say, Fashion Week, for example, which a lot of brands tried to do, which is crazy, but they did. So, yeah. This podcast is sponsored by Malay Natural Science. Malay's products are inspired by the rich landscapes, alluring scents, and ancient wisdom of Africa. Their luxurious fragrance and body care range balances 100% natural active ingredients and scientifically proven formulas to heal, protect, and pamper your skin. Malay ships worldwide and you can buy their products at maleeonline.com. They also offer a free sample if you'd like to try. You briefly mentioned family and being able to do most things with family. I guess delving into early years for you, your dad's a pastor. Amongst other things, but yes. Yeah. And your faith obviously plays a role in your experience. How is that sort of being the oldest of, of siblings and your old girls and I guess, navigating your career with the support of your family. And you guys are quite close-knit. And, and how, how has that influenced you and, and your choices? I mean, I don't think it's going to be anything obvious. I feel like it's almost just like an ingrained culture, if you know what I mean. There are things that I will just automatically say no to because that just feels weird. And when it feels weird, it's probably just because it's just not right with my spirit. And so I think it's not something I can always... I don't have like a list like this is what I do because of this, but there'll be opportunities that come, you know, or that arise and I'm just like, mm, maybe not. You know, having my family involved has been really great. Their support has been amazing. Genuinely couldn't have done any of it without them. My sisters became like unofficial interns for like all of our seasons, which has been really great. And they're also talented in their own right. You have oh, a sister goodness. who's incredible with yeah. pastry chef, which would mm. be the professional name for it. But she's incredibly <laughs> talented when it comes to food. And, you know, you have great support within your family to kind of context for guests you've been able to achieve all of these things before you're 30 so you're you're a great example of um, millennial success and what we all hope I guess you know everyone kind of this there's this poster about or, or, or this perception that you know it all comes but you know by 30 you should have it all figured out seemingly you obviously started a career in the industry super early and have taken that in the time that you've put in. It hasn't happened overnight, even though, you know, someone could look at your age and think, oh, but this, you know, you're so young. How have you been able to do this? But you've been at this for a good 15 years or, or more. Yeah, maybe not, maybe, maybe not more, but yeah, about, about 15 if we include the blogging, but yeah. Which is a long time. It is. It's funny. I was thinking about this the other day. I said to one of my sisters, I was like, I feel like I've already had a career. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm in like a, a next phase right now. And I was like, is that weird? 
they were like, no, it's definitely not weird. And it's definitely the case because I look back at a lot of what we've done. And I mean, yeah, it's like we're talking eight years ago, we're talking six years ago or 10 years ago, depending on the projects. And it feels wild that it's that long ago. I don't know. I feel like there's been obviously a lot of growth. And to see where I am now, the knowledge I have, experience mm. I have, it's it's very exciting to just have been able to have had all these really cool opportunities over the past decade or so it's an interesting one when I do reflect on it yeah so one thing that I guess people from because I just make the cut for millennial just about (laughs) um so I straddle the fence between not knowing what on earth is going on digitally like TikTok (laughs) blow my mind to wanting to play with the digital and I guess one of the questions is always how do you monetize these things I think there's a perception I think you and I had a conversation once and, and I kind of asked you know like how much do these girls make really and you said you know some of them are making you know five six figures a year and I was like are you kidding me like <laughs> what <laughs> but there's always this question around monetizing and how sustainable that is I think less so in today 2020 COVID era because I think Mm. the world is now so much clearer on the place that influencers have now or content creators or digital creators have now taken space in but monetizing creativity has always been a long time pursuit in human Mm. history and this is just another form of it But I think most people would question, but how do you go ahead and and get those brand relationships? How do you charge for those? How do you have those conversations? You know, what value are you exchanging in return for your services? Okay, if we're talking specifically an influencer, it's as simple as they're creating content for a brand and that content will be on their platform and their reach is obviously big enough that it's promotion. It's a form of advertising. And so the brand is paying for that advertising like they would in any classic advertising term, billboard, poster, et cetera. So it just becomes a new form of advertising, basically, a new form of marketing. And so it's just important to be able to understand your value and, you know, you monetize your engagement. You can see really clear results, you know, when a specific influencer has been given a specific product to advertise and talk about, create content around and then it sells out, you know, like this is directly a result of them talking about a product. And so that's a very basic way that people mm. make money through the platform, through their reach or through um, online platforms. Obviously, you have affiliate marketing as well. If you do it well and do it consistently, it can be something that people make a lot of money from. And it's essentially just making commission on sales of products that you're talking about and just putting a link in that is tracked and that where, you know, different affiliate platforms can then just pay you commission based on what you've been able to sell. That's a really Mm. great income for a lot of people. Then you Mm. have, I suppose, things like the ambassador side of things where it's Mm. not necessarily down to specific deliverables. Like, you know, this is, we're going to pay you 1K for one Instagram. It becomes more like you are now aligned with a brand just as you have Mm. You know, celebrities being like a face of a perfume brand, they're not going to be asked to do specific deliverables. They're going to be asked to be aligned with this brand, to not work with any competitors, to, Mm. you know, talk about them in natural ways. If it comes up in conversation, it becomes a bigger alignment because you're yeah, almost the face of the brand. Mm. You are an ambassador. And so that is a very big way that a lot of uh, influencers and content creators can make money if they find a brand that they share 
their ethos with, it can be really, mm. really great for both parties because, mm. you know, it means like you're going to have this influencer or person who's going to want to over deliver because it's just so natural to them. And then for the brand, they've got this, you know, spokesperson that's going to talk about them in a really natural way, way you know, it yeah. doesn't feel like, oh, this is hashtag ad and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And you know, it, it doesn't feel forced. And I think that's for me, definitely the future and the direction that things should go in. So it doesn't feel like everything is just an ad. You can actually see that people really love and admire certain mm. brands. And also that's a great way for influence because it does have an element of security because usually it's not for like a week or something. It's, I mean, mm. typically terms can be six months, they can be mm. multiple years. And so that's a really great way for them to be secure as well financially. And then I guess for you going from blogging into entrepreneurship, so Abby Marvel kind of took a back burner yeah. and then the focus was the apartment. And then I guess Studio Ava Ava and Fall Studio are your new babies. Yeah. Launched quite closely in, in time to each other. They actually didn't. I just never spoke about them. No, it's only because when I actually then finally did decide to tell people about them, it was, I would say, publicly all at the same time. But we mm. had been behind the scenes, been working on, like, for example, Ava, we've been working on since 2017. However, our okay. announcement was actually July this year so mm -hmm. I think it was just a case of I am not very good at talking about what we do you're doing a great job of it now yeah I was about to say this year gave me the opportunity to I mean have the time to you know not be busy with events and constant projects because of you know obviously the pandemic and so for me mm -hmm. it meant that I could actually sit down and actually tell people what we do and I restructured a lot of things and I'm still restructuring things like our websites and general communications. You're doing some more work on your websites? Yeah just to clarify things I just want people oh, to wow. be really clear on what Fall Studio does for example and what yeah. Studio Ava does so it's it's nothing elaborate I just want to simplify it because I do worry that sometimes it can seem a lot and it's not clear so clarity is my aim. Yeah. And I think one of the things you do quite well is quality. Oh, thank you. And as a entrepreneur, you have always been able to create, I guess, a standard of quality in, in the work that you do that, that sets you apart. Is there something in that that is skill, talent, you know, if you had to equate it, how much of it is that? Because you have a great creative eye. And I think that's perhaps one of your greatest strengths. But how much of that is something that you actively work at versus, you know, something that's come naturally? It's one of those weird ones where I feel it honestly just is a mix of both. I can't say I sit down and I'm like, I'm going to work on being more creative. I don't know how that what that looks like. But it's more of a lifestyle. I've taken a very active approach to you know make sure I'm researching all the time to ensure that I'm aware of new things whether they be books whether they're movies you know the way that I for example even just watch a movie it won't just be a case of you know appreciating the storyline I really love the cinematography you know I love scores I like music is so important like there's so many aspects to things that we usually just ignore, whereas I like to pay attention to those aspects and appreciate what all of them can do. So 
I've noticed that when someone experiences us, it's not just like, oh, Abby has an aesthetic. And so this is what a space like Abby, you know, a space mm. that Abby's design would look like. When you come into our space, so often people are like, oh my gosh, the music sounds like something you play, or the food is like this, or, you know, everything is supposed to create a feel, a vibe, you know, a mood. And so I've always just thought it's important to pay attention to the whole experience rather than just thinking like, oh, maybe I'm a minimal, I don't know, person. And so you're going to see Scandi furniture. That's not how I work. I'm constantly inspired by things. You know, it could be a gallery exhibition that I've seen. It could be a holiday. Oh my gosh, on holiday, I get filled with inspiration. Traveling is just, you know, such a great source. I think a lot of people can agree with that. And so for me, it's just always adding things. I feel like my style is constantly evolving I definitely must have been somewhat blessed you know with um, yeah. capability to edit it you know mm. and not be overwhelmed with everything that mm-hmm. I'm consuming I don't know how I can say I've learned that there's I didn't study anything creative at school like there wasn't a day I woke up and I was like oh I'm creative <laughs> um mm. I just mm. I feel like it it's always been there and so I ensure that I basically feed the need and the general internal skill that is there I just make sure I'm always feeding it with different inspirations and content in different ways to ensure that I'm just always thinking about what I like and what my taste could be but it definitely is evolving and it's hard when people say like you have great style or you have great taste because it's just I mean they like it you know I'm sure someone probably think I don't have great style taste somewhere so it's everyone's opinion you know so often when I'm working on a project and we have to infuse maybe some brand elements I I think oh like I don't really like that but then I'm like Mm. well it's not really about me though is it like you know Mm. this is a collaborative project and also it works for them this is a very successful brand so yes you might not like their brand color or this or whatever but it doesn't really matter and this is what I mean about it's about taste and just what you personally like so that's something I've become more conscious about because I used to think oh I don't like that so that clearly is wrong when that's obviously not the right attitude to have and is just incorrect and so by being more open I feel like it's definitely expanded my horizons which is really great. Now, one of the biggest things in, I guess, a lot of entrepreneurship conversations is team and building, a, you know, a workforce. You know, you certainly need extra hands to execute at the scale at which you've been able to execute. And you've worked with everyone from Superdrug to Hyundai and to Microsoft, as you mentioned. Goodness, uh, Starbucks. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of some of the names. Give me some, give me some. Um, uh, we've worked with Tiffany, Bentley, H&M. Like, honestly, yeah. it's... I, I do don't think you, ha- you have an untapped... I think you've tapped every <laughs> industry at this point. Like, I think you've done every sort of luxury good every sort of consumer good from food, beverage to... We've done and, and having, we've done everything. Yeah. <laughs> and having that breadth of reach across industries, one, yeah. and being able to find the workforce to be able to execute. Mm-hmm. Is there a method to how you pull in those extra hands? Obviously, mm-hmm. having a young generation of siblings and friends to hand is great, but, mm-hmm. you know, People don't really do stuff for free these days. Yeah. And to be fair, the first event that we did, um, as I mentioned, we just Mm. didn't have money. It wasn't even Mm. like, oh, I have something and I'm not paying you. Like, we just didn't. Whereas Mm. the moment I started making money, like everyone makes money. We Mm. have always, from the beginning, paid our interns. And I think it, it had a very just personal 
reasoning behind it because I'd interned for years and mm. I'd never been paid. Like I would just about get my expenses covered. I remember when I was working at a really notable magazine and they literally mm. paid me 35 pounds a week and that was supposed to cover transport oh, wow. and I guess lunch or something. I don't know. That's what I was used to. And I was like, I, mm. you know, I'm not going to subject anyone to that. Especially, you know, it's hard when you compare yourself to these big brands who don't pay people and then you're a small brand and you're like, I'm going to try and pay you something. That's also the expectation that as a small brand, you should pay. That's been my experience. As a small brand, I think, you know, people expect more because they, they don't see the value add. Yeah, but that's, um, that, that's not great. I mean, that doesn't even make sense because like experience is experience. And if you want to work there, work there. Like no one's forcing you. I've always thought that was strange. So I've always been good with paying staff. Um, I think naturally with anything, improvements can happen and I try and increase where I can. And I think mm. it's just something that I, I'm just not trained in. So yeah, I have but to finding just... them, like, where do you find them? Where, where are all these magical people that help make these magical things happen? The main place I used to get a lot of our interns and team was from the University of Arts Creative mm. Careers website, because mm. that's where I went and that's where I studied. And so I was just very much, that's where I got all my internship opportunities from. So I just thought, well, this should be great. I mean, this is like a huge art school. Everyone's always looking mm. for opportunity so for so many years we got our interns from there and then it just got to a point where I just needed people that were more experienced mm. I think towards the beginning I'm still figuring it out but we would have people who were maybe like first year uni or maybe even just about to start or something and so they didn't have that much experience and that definitely reflected in their output which wasn't as great as it could have been so as things started to get a lot more serious I just started to look for people who you know maybe were graduates maybe had mm. had two to five years experience and so yeah it, then I started looking at places like LinkedIn the dots and I will mm. say just a lot of people got in touch just via Instagram we would always mm. say like oh we're hiring and we would have so many people get in touch just by social media so that was definitely a huge one for us there's no set way that we might get new candidates it's just a combination of a few websites, word of mouth and social media. 2020, I want to say for you was all about using your voice. And I've put down in my notes, stepping into the light. That was very much my observation. And you've seen, I guess, in the midst of this, being able to speak out as being, you know, a black plus size woman in the mm. fashion industry and really, I guess, amplifying your voice to be able to be heard, be seen. Is there something about that that has a level of activism to it? Or was it just mm. you kind of coming into your own and going, hey, I have been here behind the scenes and I'm kind of comfortable and ready to come out. And I, because I think most entrepreneurs <laughs> struggle with putting themselves out there. No, definitely. I think my general way of life, the, the, the way that I am, I'm very relaxed and I'm very I don't think quiet is the right term, but I'm reserved and, you know, I'm opinionated. And if you ask me, we'll go through it. But I don't like to be confrontational. I don't like to be loud. And I think people might mistake that for, yeah, being, I don't know, very quiet and maybe meek person. I don't know, which is uh, very much not me, if you know me. And mm. so I think this year for me, there were just a lot of emotional moments and I think when you are at home you have more time to reflect and so instead of you know these emotional things maybe 
happening and then you're like oh well I'm too busy it's fashion week mm. or you know your mind's racing because there's always something happening you just go mm. from project to project instead I had the time to process these things and so because of that I think my just natural <laughs> reaction was to talk about it and it definitely didn't come natural in a sense of I was concerned that people would be offended I don't like people to feel uncomfortable that being said if you're wrong I feel like you should know about it um, mm. and so you know I always refer to it with my sisters as a joke when Black Lives Matter month happened mm. I just felt like it was important that if people are listening right now that they know everything because this isn't the time to stay quiet I think it's important that if people are going to claim that they didn't know these things were happening mm. that they didn't know about institutional racism that they didn't know about their white privilege it's like mm. okay okay sure that's fine let's um... especially coming from a space where this is something that it's an uphill battle yeah that yeah. you face daily in in your Definitely. work yeah um, you face daily in having to defend your work in having to to defend your worth yeah and then finding that the response is oh but really <laughs> You know what I mean? Well, yeah, like, no, totally. I didn't know it's that crazy. existed. I don't see color. And that for <laughs> me is probably one of my worst statements when I hear that. But I yeah. digress. I think watching on the sidelines, your evolution, and sometimes, you know, it does seem to me that you do do a lot. And how much of the time are you learning to say no? Oh my gosh. Yes. A hundred percent. I say no to so much. And I think I used to say a bit of no, but mm. I would, yeah, I said yes to a lot. And I think that's what I mean about I was going from project to project. I should have definitely said no to things because it would have been good to have had more time to reflect because, I mean, look, I thought we're in 2020. I would say my proper professional career mm. spans eight years. And if mm. I look back, I genuinely, I just can't recall some years. You know, I'm lucky that I have lots of photos so I can be like, oh, yeah, mm. we did that. But if I was to just try and sit here and think about it, like, I really can't. It was just always just back to back. There was no time to stop. And it wasn't necessarily the best strategy to have. I understand mm. why I did it. Because, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking I'm young. I've got all this energy. Like, let's just go, go, go. Because you just never mm. know when it's going to stop. And that was that mm. was just the mentality. Like, you know, and also there's this attitude you have of, gratitude you're like oh mm. like you know I can't say no because this person wants to work with me like I should mm. be grateful and that's definitely an attitude that's changed um I'm mm. very aware of my worth now and so mm. I don't say yes as easily to things as I used mm. to and I think it's it's hard even just saying that I'm like oh my gosh do I come across as arrogant because I just I do worry you know the moment you almost accept that you are talented uh, I feel like it can come with like these connotations, especially being a black woman. My goodness, mm. me having the audacity to say that I um, I, I have worth is like wild. So yeah, uh, it's something I worry about, but not too much. Definitely not as much as I used to. Well, there's also something about being able to kind of not spread yourself too thin. Yep, yep. And and to be able to put out the quality that's needed to be able mm. to execute. You now write for Harper's Bazaar. Yeah, I do, yeah. And back to, I guess, writing, so back to Abby Marvel days, is is there something about taking that on in the midst of running four businesses that holds, a, I guess, a special place for you? Definitely. 
I mean, if anything, that's one of the most important things I'm doing at the moment. We haven't really touched upon it too much in this conversation, mm. but the plus size industry and the representation is really, really important to me. I think, you know, I've been working in fashion and I've always been plus size. So mm. this idea that from the beginning, I've just never felt welcome. I'd have, you know, brands even wanting to work with me, but they wouldn't even do my size. And it's like, well, I don't know how we're going to do this. And it's just always been ingrained, like always. And I think to have this opportunity to be a part of and write for such a well-respected and high mm. fashion platform and to be able to dictate that my content will specifically serve the plus size demographic, which is mm. the majority of the market, is really exciting and really, really important. You know, you could just do a quick search across the main high fashion platforms, the, the mm. Vogue, the Harper's, and you'll really struggle to find plus size specific content it's always mm. like something special is happening like oh ashley graham has a new collection you know the poster mm. girl for plus size or you know there was one random great plus size brand that got launched that i guess the industry accepted but the mm. way that you see the everyday content around everything else you know mm. all the other brands all the smaller sizes that's just regular it's just like yeah. a it's assumed it's just every day there's like five new articles you know so why is it that plus size has to be special it has to be specific to something big if we're going to talk about it it can't just be the every day and I think that's I think for, the whole for point. a long time it was kind of normal in the US and mm. less so anywhere else in the world now yeah I, I think mm. societally you know depending on wherever you are in the world plus size doesn't even exist as a word in some parts of the world, right? Like, you know, um, there are women who are celebrated for being well endowed, as as they call yeah. it. And I think in, in mainstream European culture, because the representation of beauty has always been very mono in, in, in terms mm. of its sound and, and its appeal and its visual representation, for the first time, as you rightly you know, pointed out a large percentage of the population is not what we've been kind of told to aspire to. And now we're having to look in the mirror and celebrate ourselves in the different shades of what's out there. Do you feel like there is a running theme of purpose in the work that you do across, whether that's the apartment, studio, Arva, Arva, for the uh, full studio and, and, and now writing for Harper's? And I'm sure you have so many other things in the, in, in the back burner that you haven't even mentioned because <laughs> you're probably one of the busiest people I know. So um, I write you an email and I'm like, oh God, I hope she sees this. I'm so sorry. I'm so rubbish <laughs> with emails. <laughs> but um, yes, I think it wasn't necessarily a planned purpose. Mm. But it's something I've definitely realized over time, especially this mm. year. Again, everything this year has generally been so eye-opening for me. I've never had this sort of time to reflect. But yes, I think community is at the heart and mm. bringing people together and making, I guess it's this idea of being comfortable. I don't want anything to feel elite. Even with the brand, it's so funny. We got an email the other day and it just kind of wrapped up everything I wanted to do. They said something like someone had suggested us to buy some homeware and they looked at the website and they were like, oh, this is amazing. But then they have to admit they left it because they were like, this is obviously going to be expensive. Mm. And then they went on our Instagram because we put some of the shopping items there mm. and they were shocked to find that it wasn't expensive. And they were like, so you've 
created this space that feels so exclusive and so premium and luxury, mm. but it's actually completely inclusive and it is affordable. And I was literally like, oh my God, that's exactly what we're trying to do. I can't believe a stranger just said that to me. Um, and so for me, that's it. You know, I'm trying to always make sure that people can feel a part of the conversation. I feel like I've grown up in this world where it's mm. very clear that I shouldn't like the things that I like. You know, people are surprised when I have the taste that I have instead of it just being like, oh, yeah, it's like, oh, wow, you have like really good taste. And it's like, mm. OK, I get what you're trying to say, um, mm. you know. And so for me, I want that to be normal for everyone who looks like me. I don't think it should be limited to, you know, maybe a thin, white, rich lady, for example. You know, mm. I feel like everyone can like luxury and there should just be more openness surrounding these consumer products and so that's my aim generally mm. community and just keeping things really inclusive even if they don't look it because I don't want it to just be like oh you know everything's a free-for-all I'm not trying to be the new I don't know Primark for example I want things to have a, a very specific aesthetic and taste level but still open to everyone so I guess that's a running theme yeah it's interesting you it's almost it almost feels like you're transitioning from service to product in your evolution a few years ago you, you had this idea you shared with me about a social membership club is is that something that you're still passionate about or has that idea evolved into into something else yeah it got to a point where we were so close to making it happening um mm. making it happen about two years ago like we had people interested in terms of investors we had spaces that were ready to go and mm. I don't know it was almost like a dream or something where I just we started to confirm the sort of um early people that would be using the space and as that list came in I was like wait a second wait a second this isn't what I want to do <laughs> like, yeah this is yeah. this is uh this is way too specific and exclusive and there's way too many terms that you need to reach mm -hmm. to be able to use our space like and I don't want to become another private members club like you know the way mm. people talk about mm -hmm. I don't know Annabelle's or whatever and mm. it's like oh it's so hard and I'm on the wait list and mm. I never want to be associated with these things like that was just mm. and I just was like this this is exactly what I'm about to start doing um, yes so I just I mean it was unfortunate but I just had to be like I don't want to do this I want to create something that's open. And that was actually the year that I then started working on Ava because I thought, you know what? Like you need to start thinking of exactly what this open project is going to be. Mm. And so though it was a good idea and, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, it would have been cool to have done. I actually don't regret not doing it because I think it was very important for me to focus on consumers and everyone. And I didn't want to also feed the ego that is the influencer industry. I feel like it's already quite full. <laughs> so, mm. um, yeah, that was, that was going to be my next question around, <laughs> I guess, with COVID, the industry that everyone thought was never going to stick around has amplified and amplified now, even with new platforms thrown in, I guess for someone like you who works or who has worked on the influencer side and works alongside influencers and then who is now on the entrepreneur side, what are your thoughts around just where all of it is going and going in the sense that, you know, are we going to, yes, that's a level of marketing and it's, you know, think of a brand advertising and, and this is just another platform. But mm -hmm. in, in, in terms of the humanness of it, because we've seen some pretty 
horror stories and and there are trolls and there are to any career there are some downsides to losing your anonymity actually what i have seen is a, a lot of bloggers or influencers who were part of the early wave sort of almost evolve out of the personal brand and are Definitely. trying to evolve into actual mm. businesses i'm seeing that a lot yeah yeah is there a reason for that like if you're able to make you know, six figures as a personal brand, why do you want to create a business? I can only talk about it from the people that I know because mm. they all have the same reasoning in that mm. a lot of these creators started young. And so and when I say young, I'm talking like, you know, teens, you know, like mm. 18, 19, some of them like 20s, but they were young. And so mm. priorities change, you know, you grow. So you start to just realize that like, wait, I don't want this to always just be about me. I want to do something bigger. And that's the consensus that I've received from everyone. Mm. This idea of like, you know, I want this to be bigger than me. I want to be able to have something that can go past me, you know, not necessarily like mm. if I die, but they do want to almost create like this legacy that surpasses mm. just their face and selfies and whatever their content might look like. And so I think mm. it's just been really important for people to, you know, forge a new way for them to express themselves that doesn't necessarily have their face in front of it. And that's the main reason, you know, making it bigger. I think when you have been so popular and created this whole brand around you specifically in your face, mm. like that, it can be overwhelming as well. Also, your ambitions change. I think, mm. you know, when you are in a really privileged position to have these brands that really admire you and mm. a really sort of comfortable financial position, you start thinking, all right, big picture now, what do I want to do? And I think a lot of them never had that opportunity to think about what they wanted to do because most of them didn't start this thinking they're going to become this success. You know, a lot mm. of them were doing it as a hobby and and a bit like me they never spent that time to reevaluate they just kind of went with it for like you know almost a decade for some people and then mm. had that moment where they're like oh okay what am I actually doing and what do I want to do and so I think it's just once people have that time to reflect they then think yeah I don't want to be the face I mean some people do but a mm. lot of people don't they want to create something that's bigger than them and that can you know ensure that in the future maybe they can have privacy and that could mm. be for a whole range of reasons from you know maybe mm. they want to have kids maybe they're just tired of it maybe their mm. partner doesn't want them to be so public like there could be mm. so many reasons but yeah I think people just kind of get tired of being um in the spotlight after uh, a point yeah I, I came across a quote this morning which was uh, success is also trauma yeah it's a concept that's rarely spoken about but there is some element of truth to it when you, you you start to lose your anonymity definitely abby it's been incredible having you on this week's episode oh thank you thank you so much for being so open and sharing where can everyone find you i'd say instagram that's the main platform i use and my username is abby marvel as in like yeah the the marvel comics <laughs> <laughs> That's where you can find me. Fabulous. Thank you so much for joining us in this week's episode. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Third Culture Africans. We are building a community of leaders and game changers and would love you to join in the conversation on thirdcultureafricans.com. Subscribe for news, for tips and more useful resources on today's topic and more episodes to ignite and inspire your entrepreneurial journey. Carry on the conversation on Facebook and Instagram at Third Culture Africans.
Your ratings and reviews are important to us, so please leave one on your favorite streaming platform and help us amplify our voices. Until next time, you are valid, you are strong, and you are just getting started. 